0: Honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. People I've spoken
1: to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit Chat anywhere you listen to podcasts and there's some video versions on YouTube. So there's no reason not to tune in. Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network.
0: What's up, you guys? We are doing a campfire episode today. So there is an author that we have partnered with, and we are going to be reading some of her scary stories, her horror fiction that she's written. Um, and she actually has a book out called 101 Scary Stories to Read in the Dark. And her name is Lane Loomis, and she's a great author. And so um these campfire stories are gonna be coming straight from her, and you can probably find her on Facebook. Um, the book is on I I listen to it on Audible, but it's on Amazon and everything like that. So if you want to check it out, check it out. Anyway. Loomis. I'm <laughs> so stuck on Loomis. I know, right? It's a great name. Um, so sit back. Do you have anything to tell a spooky names? Nope. Okay. Sit back, relax, and listen to them spooky stories. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait. And we'll see you In your nightmares
1: the one thing you really really shouldn't do if you hate house centipedes it was a stupid thing to do but it was just supposed to be a prank there was a creepy girl at school Maria she didn't hurt anyone but she was a freak and it made us all uncomfortable why couldn't she just be normal We played jokes on her from time to time. It's a mean thing to do, but we were kids, and I think we thought of it as a kind of fair punishment for the fact that she was so weird. I put a centipede in her soup, a big old house centipede I trapped in a Tupperware when I found it crawling around the bathroom downstairs. At lunch when she got up to buy a soda, I dumped it in and stirred it around. It was a jittery little fuck, but I mashed it a few times, so it was almost dead she sat alone and no one else stopped me we all hated her i ran back to my table and my friends and i were crying from laughing so hard she wasn't supposed to actually eat it i thought she'd see it on her spoon and freak out and be off food for a few days and we'd all have a good laugh but she wasn't looking or it looked too much like meat because she didn't notice anything was wrong until one end was in her mouth and the rest was dangling down her face I was too far away to see if it was still writhing around, but it may have been. She made this sound I've never heard another human make, and the entire cafeteria got quiet. It was like a... Her bowl went flying, and there was soup everywhere, and she was spitting and crying and making the biggest scene I've ever seen in real life. The place had erupted in laughter. Nobody really knew about the bug, they just thought the freak had finally freaked out. I felt a little twinge of guilt because she looked over at me at the same time all my friends were patting me on the back. Her expression changed from terror to malice as she put together what must have happened. I just stared back. What was she going to do? Maria didn't come to school for three days. When she came back, she was different. She wasn't wearing her freaky witch clothes and her frizzy hair wasn't going in a million directions. She looked normal. She stopped mumbling and started talking to people. A few months later, I saw her at the mall. I think she had friends. I started thinking the whole prank had knocked some sins into her, but that's when the bad stuff started happening. The first one was totally normal. I'd seen a house centipede or two in my house every year since they freaked me out as a little kid. Usually they weren't upstairs though, and this was a big fat one crawling on the wall towards me as I was reading in bed one night. Usually, they crawled in this unpredictable zigzag, but this one seemed to be motoring right towards my bed with purpose. I got up and found an old tennis shoe and smashed it against the wall. I got some paper towels and cleaned the guts up, it was pretty disgusting. The next night, I felt something move under my covers across my foot and up my leg. I threw the covers off, watched three of them skitter into my closet. I stayed up until four, cleaning every surface of my room and making sure there weren't any hiding places near my bed where they'd want to hang out anymore. I fell asleep in fifth period and drooled on my notebook. Ashley Merle saw. I stopped at Target on my way home from school and wandered around the pest control section. I came home with a bag of glue traps and put some under my bed. When I pulled them out in the morning, there They were still alive, writhing tangles of centipedes glued to every available particle of surface area. I counted twenty before I gave up in disgust and threw them in the trash bin outside. They were everywhere after that. It was an infestation. I'd shake them out of my shoes in the morning and find them on the clothes I took out my closet. They dropped down from the ceiling when I was in the shower and I could never sit still for more than a few minutes without feeling one somewhere on my body. I became accustomed to the feeling of a house centipede crawling at my back and looping around my neck. The thing is, they never bothered anyone else. My mom and my sister couldn't see them. At first I thought the infestation was just centered in my room, but eventually I bought more glue traps and showed them the masses they collected. They told me it wasn't worth getting so freaked out over a single spider. They couldn't see them. The look of concern on my mom's face was enough for me to back down. I told her I had arachnophobia and didn't bring it up again. I don't know if I'm going crazy, but I know she can't help me. They're crawling over me right now, and when I open my mouth to speak, they go inside. I used to gag when they went down my throat, but all the coughing scares people. So I've learned to live with it. The only time I even pull them off of me anymore is when they start to crawl into my nose. It just tickles too much. This is my life now. Every day, there's more of them.
0: To be young and in love in New York City with a serial killer. The first thing you should know about me is that I'm an extremely anal packer. I spent the better part of a day planning and organizing and neatly folding my clothes so that I could travel light with a small pink carry-on. Two people at the airport, upon discovering I was going to New York for eight days commented on how light I packed and the compliments filled me with satisfaction. For the record, I know this makes me a very boring person. Second thing you should know about me is that when I'm in a hotel room, I slide the little metal lock over 100% of the time I'm in my room. The one that makes it impossible for anyone outside to get in unless you remove it from the inside. I do this even though the doors always seem to automatically lock when you shut it. It just makes me feel safe. The corporate apartment I was staying at had this same kind of door. It's a small studio where you can see everything immediately when you walk in. There are two closets and a bathroom. I looked in both closets when I was unpacking. I even looked behind the shower curtain. I thought I was so paranoid of something bad happening to me that never actually would. Maybe you should know that I'm also a bad sleeper, especially when I travel. I come prepared. That night, I slid a few dropperfuls of liquid melatonin under my tongue. I was also just tired, so I was unusually out of it as I slept. The man who entered the apartment that night wasn't subtle. He could have moved a few things. I would have noticed. I would have been uneasy and paranoid. I guess he wanted more than that, hence the overkill. When I woke up, there were clothes everywhere. Piles of it, like living in a dirty college dorm. I was confused. I thought maybe I was sleepwalking, or there had been an earthquake or something. How and why had my suitcase been upended everywhere? Then, I saw the note. It was a folded sheet of lined notebook paper addressed to me in chicken scrawl and sitting on top of a pile of clothes. When I picked it up, I discovered a used condom and a wrapper underneath. The note inside said, I enjoyed our time together, XX. I think I went into shock. There was a manic feeling to the way I raced into the hallway, sobbing hysterical in my nightdress. I was laughing too. I didn't believe this was real. I went up and down the hallway looking for someone to talk to while going through my phone trying to get anyone whose opinion I trusted to pick up. It was 3.30am and no one answered. I knew my mom would pick up but I didn't want to tell her about the condom. I needed someone I could tell the whole story to. I thought a lot about calling the police but a voice in my head told me I was being dramatic. Is this the kind of thing you're supposed to call the police for? I thought about seeing a news article about hysterical, entitled women who call the police because their apartment was messy. I gathered my thoughts. What actions did I need to take so that I could be safe and feel better? There was no one in the hallway. I went back to the apartment, I checked all the closets, there was a door I didn't notice before. I felt agitated every moment I was in the apartment. It was too closed in, easy bait. I thought about sending a middle-of-the-night email to my coworker, Robbie, who was also visiting New York this weekend. Since there were two of us, Robbie was staying in the hotel while I used the apartment. I wanted to switch. I didn't feel safe. What if this guy came back? But the apartment wasn't clean. I thought about the dishes for my dinner in the sink, my clothes everywhere, and, sickeningly, the used condom I discovered. I felt disgusting. I couldn't ask Robbie to sleep in that bed after what had happened. I'd never been raped before. No one told me how dirty it would make me feel when I didn't feel like sex was dirty to begin with. It felt unfair that this was my problem to deal with now. I felt the way that this guy, whoever had come in while I was asleep, wanted me to feel violated at his mercy. I finally called 911. They put me on hold and eventually disconnected me. It didn't occur to me that it was an accident or that the cell signal was being interfered with. This call confirmed my fear, but they did think I was hysterical. I sat on my bed freaking out for about an hour and a half. At 5 a.m. I got dressed, went to a coffee shop two blocks away and made a plan. The man would come back tonight. I knew this for certain. He knew who I was and how to get to me and he wanted to terrorize me. There was no who who popped into my head. No man I knew crazy or angry who had a reason to make me feel this way no unrequited lover who would want to rape me in the night, to take something I wouldn't give to him. Usually my relationships worked the other way around. I'd go to work, I'd ask my boss about the door that locked from the other side. He wasn't in early, but my coworker I trusted the most was. I confided in her everything that happened. We walked back to the apartment. I showed her the mess, I showed her the locked room, and when I went to show her the note and the condom, I found them missing. A month earlier, I told this coworker about having a panic attack so bad that I ended up in the emergency room. I've had anxiety all my life, but it has never been this bad. I was taking a new medication. I was sharing with her my ups and my downs, and now I realize what a mistake this had been. The story I told her was strange enough to hear from a normal person, but I was mentally ill and she knew it. As common as anxiety is, there's still a stigma, especially when so bad you have panic attacks that make you go to the hospital, where they shoot you up so you can relax, and put a bracelet on your wrist that announces how ill you are. I had a baggie full of pills on the counter. She's an understanding person, but I didn't blame her for the way she looked at me when I couldn't find the note. The way something subtle had changed in her expression. I wondered briefly if I should tell her I was crazy. Maybe I'd feel safer in a mental ward. In the end, I checked myself into a hotel on my own dime. I couldn't really afford it, but I didn't have a choice. There were no doors in this hotel room besides the front one. I promptly locked the big lock, no one behind the curtain, no one under the bed. I laid on the bed and opened my MacBook and did the rest of my work for the day. I ordered room service so I didn't have to leave. I lied and told everyone I knew I was still at the apartment. The truth was, I didn't want anyone to know where I was. There was someone I couldn't trust and I didn't know who. I felt a jolt of adrenaline when it got dark. I feel safer in hotels than almost anywhere else. They're so sanitized and full of people. There's a great big lock and a big strong door and there was no other way in. I took three droppers full of melatonin this time. I knew there was no other way I'd sleep. The liquid felt sticky and sweet under my tongue. I hit the pillow and I was out. When I woke up, I knew someone was in the room. I stayed still. I let my eyes adjust. I breathed as deep as I could, so I still sounded asleep. I saw an outline on the floor. Someone crawling, a big man trying to be quiet. I thought about how people said that the original Night Stalker used to do that. I heard him crawl to the door, and I heard him let himself out. When I got up and looked at the door, the metal lock was in place. I turned the lights on and looked around the room. There was a note on the desk and another piece of folded, lined paper ripped from a notebook. Darling Lane, you look so troubled when you sleep. Try not to worry so much. I'm here with you always, XX. I'm going to be honest about a gross thing here. The note made me feel special. I was terrified and repulsed. My hands were shaking as I read it, and I got into the fetal position in bed and cried afterwards. But there was a little spark of warmth there, too. Someone wanted me so much, they were doing all this crazy primal stuff. I was like a heroine in a horror movie. Maybe I could write him back and win him over. If I could play his game for a bit, maybe he would calm down. On the other hand, I could just leave New York. Maybe I'd get fired for being a complete crazy person and leaving the city after two days when I was supposed to be meeting with people and working in the office for a whole week. I could make up an emergency, but I'd already told a coworker what happened and it would be too big of a coincidence. Word would get out. I went to the front desk and asked to switch rooms. The front desk lady was young and friendly enough that I pretended to level with her. I told her I was trying to get away from an ex-boyfriend, and asked if I could put the reservation under someone else's name. She said I couldn't, but she could make a note in the system not to give out my room number or name to anyone, which no one's supposed to do anyway, but it happens occasionally. When someone says it's an emergency or acts sufficiently frazzled or unassuming. I took four droppers of melatonin. Whatever was going to happen was going to happen, and I at least wanted to be unconscious for it. The next morning, I woke up to bouquets of roses. The air in the room was perfumed with them. I had a dream of being in someone's warm embrace, of feeling safe in the country house somewhere with the windows open with someone who loved me. There was a simple note, for my love, you deserve the best, xx. It was strange. There was a sense of trepidation when I woke up to the flowers and glanced at the door and still saw it locked, but I didn't feel afraid anymore. My shoulders relaxed. Whoever this man was, wasn't going to hurt me. He could sneak into locked apartments and secure hotel rooms. He was strong. I'd seen his frame in the dark. I was watched over. It made me feel weary, but it also made me feel comfortable. I didn't change rooms that night, but I repeated the four droppers of liquid melatonin. I awoke to more roses. I smiled when I saw them. They say Stockholm Syndrome happens because there's an innate human desire for consensus building. We are desperate to get along, but we feel uneasy with conflict. There's an intimacy in hostage situation that causes a hostage to bond with their captor. I personally feel like that's a pretty vulgar way to describe a very special kind of relationship, but I guess I understand that's how it seems to the outside world. I just don't really think that it's that complicated. He made me feel terrified. He made me feel like no one believed me because I was a crazy girl. Then he was there to take me in his arms and make me feel safe. He became the entirety of my sense of safety, holding me every night which I gradually began to notice as I lessened my melatonin usage and resumed a lighter sleeping pattern. There were flowers every morning, fresh expensive flowers, and notes and letters about how much he cared for me. I know what he did is bad, but he is not a bad person. It's romantic if you think about it, the lengths he went to show me, how much I needed him, how unsafe I am without him. He saw in me a person I am at my core, someone who needs protecting. I am a garden who needs someone to build a wall around me so I can flourish, so I can do the work of growing something beautiful without worry or fear or distraction. Every girl says they want the fairy tale, but not a lot of women want to go through what it takes to have the fairy tale. It's a kind of a hero's journey. There's a darkness before the dawn, and the hero is flawed. The hero slays the dragon to save the princess. There aren't dragons around anymore, but the hero still has to defeat something. There still has to be conflict. If you just meet and fall in love, I mean, I mean that's fine, but it's by definition not a fairy tale romance. We began talking at night. He told me he's killed before. None of those other women understood him the way I do. I rubbed his shoulders while he told me about them. I felt jealous that his attention had ever been consumed by anyone but me. I felt bad that those women have died. I wish he would have found me first. I never did go back home. It didn't feel like home anymore. Home was where he was.
1: Have you had the black dog dream yet? There was a man who sat down next to me on the bus and asked me if I'd ever had a scary dream. It was obviously very creepy and I was also furious that he'd made me take off my airpods so he could ask. I thought he was going to ask me when a stop was but I should have just pretended I didn't notice him motioning at me. The man was old and tired looking. He smelled like whiskey and marijuana and body odor which is to say he fit right in with most of the people I met on the bus. I was just trying to get downtown so that I could stand at a makeup counter all day and make $14 an hour. Have you had any scary dreams lately? The man looked at me and smiled and I saw that his teeth were dark grey and the crevices and that parts of his gums were blackened. I thought about how miserable it must be to grow old and about what excuse I could make to get out of this conversation without pissing him off and making him go crazy. Nothing surprised me about bus people anymore. Not since I was a kid. It was a lie, but I said it in a flippant kind of way and made a show of putting my airpods back in and hoped it would be enough to get him to stop talking to me. Have you dreamt about the black dog yet? I recoiled in disgust. Even for a dirty bus man, this guy was creepy. At the next stop, I got off the bus two stops early. I didn't mind walking if I was going to save myself from him. I walked quickly along the hot summer street worrying if I was going to get sweaty on my way to work. I stopped for a coffee I shouldn't buy, but it's so hard not to when you're staring down the barrel of an all-day shift. I didn't recognize the guy behind the counter, but he acted like he recognized me. He didn't ask for my name before scribbling something down on the cup. I got a large iced Americano and honestly expected to find his number when I walked away, so I wasn't surprised to find the indecipherable writing longer than I expected. By the time I unscrambled the message, Have you ever dreamed about the black dog? I was already out of the shop. I didn't want to go back in and demand answers, but this was the point where I started to freak out. I didn't know anything about a black dog. Truthfully, I don't think I've ever had a dream about one, even though my family had a black lab growing up. I liked dogs, and the concept of dreaming about one wasn't frightening in itself, but the circumstances of being told about one twice in one morning by gross strangers definitely was. Maybe it's some incel thing on the internet. I wouldn't give anyone the satisfaction of reacting to them, but I decided I would definitely search for Black Dog Urban Dictionary as soon as I clock into work. I got more Black Dog messages at work that day. Someone wrote it on one of the counter mirrors and lipstick. Have you ever dreamed about the Black Dog yet? It was during the lunch rush so I didn't see it until I was wiping down the counters later in the afternoon. Urban Dictionary wasn't helpful either, and if it was some sort of internet joke, they were doing a good job of hiding that from the searchable internet. Another customer straight up asked me as I was ringing her up. I didn't like her from the moment I started talking to her. She had a dead look like she'd washed up out of the ocean once and just got up and kept living her life. I wasn't going to take her seriously no matter what she said, but that made four people. I was freaked out. I went home and locked my doors and even went around checking the windows to make sure everything was locked and I was, safely, home alone. I turned on Netflix while I made dinner and had an uneventful few hours eating and vegging out before dragging myself to bed. It had been a weird day and I was afraid of the black dog dream. I didn't know what it was, but it didn't sound good. I actually slept great, better than I can ever remember sleeping. I woke up Saturday feeling well rested and clear headed. I was instantly relieved to blink my eyes open and remember that nothing ominous happened. In fact, I hadn't dreamed at all. I slept as soon as my head hit the pillow and I was out cold the whole night. By the way, have you ever dreamed about the black dog? Not to sound creepy, but have you? It's really not so bad. You have so many dreams, you can spare one. I promise you won't even miss it.
0: I think my son's imaginary friend wants to hurt me. Being a mother is all I ever wanted to be. Being at the age of four, I used to stick pillows inside my blouse trying to get that grown-up belly bump I'd seen on pregnant ladies at the grocery store or on TV. I couldn't wait to be a mommy and have a baby all my own. When my mom became pregnant again, I was a good girl and I helped her with chores and we read books with the baby every night and I'd sit in mommy and daddy's bed and rub mommy's tummy while she read stories to both the baby and I can hear. When my little brother was born, I cared for him as if he were my own. I was a precious child, always learning new things so that I could help my brother. It's why I was the first student in my class to learn how to read, and why I learned how to cook and make my own snacks growing up. Our relationship was so much stronger than a typical sibling bond. It was special. I went to college close to home so that I could be at all my brother's soccer games. At school, I met the love of my life. After we graduated, we decided that we were going to get married and start our lives together. I was beyond thrilled. Life was turning out to be everything I had ever dreamed up. Soon I would have my own little family and our own little house and everything would be perfect. I got pregnant a year after we married, pretty much as soon as we started trying. I was so relieved, but I took the ease of everything happening as a sign that it was my destiny. I was born to be a mother and the universe was conspiring to make it so. Our first was a precious girl named Sophie. She soon became a big sister to Alana and Johnny. My son Johnny is now five. He was an angelic baby, and he got on a sleeping schedule right away, and breastfeeding wasn't as difficult as I read it would be. We bonded right away, and I adored how much he needed me. How my whole day is scheduled around doting on his every need. He's a sweet little angel who, despite his recent temper tantrums, is so, so loving and full of potential. He's gonna be a great man someday. The problem started a year ago at his friend's fourth birthday. After the party, he was sitting on my lap while we had some snuggles before bed. He told me about one of his friends he played with at the party. His name was Damon. That's not a name that blends into the background. I would definitely have remembered if one of the school kids or one of the kids in the neighborhood was named Damon and they definitely would not have been invited to our house. I don't even know any parents remotely goth enough to name their child Damon. It sounds vaguely evil. I assume Johnny must have gotten the name wrong, or he was mispronouncing it, which he is still in the phase of doing. I even checked, there's absolutely not anyone named Damon at the party. A few days went on and he continued to talk about playing with his friend Damon. He also pretended to call Damon on the phone and mentioned that Damon was joining us for meals. It's clear that Damon was not real. I was obviously horrified that he'd chosen this name for his imaginary friend. I immediately consulted our priest, who assured me that Johnny likely heard the name somewhere in Sunday school and took a fancy to it. I convinced Johnny that Damie was a good, gender neutral name for his friend. Eventually, I got him used to the nickname, so he would at least wouldn't be overheard talking to his friend Damon at the grocery store. The problem was, it isn't just Damon's name. His appearance coincided with some of the challenges in Johnny's behavior. He was rougher with the girls and their relationship changed. All of a sudden, both his sisters seemed quieter around Johnny. If I would tell him that we had to put toys away because it was time to leave for an appointment, he'd say, well, Damie told me that we can just leave my toys out. Or, Damie told me I don't have to do what you say if I don't want to. He'd never spoken to me like that before. And that's when I started trying to get rid of Damien. Other parents found out that Johnny's imaginary friend was named Damon, and they started blaming all sorts of mean-spirited things on him. They said that he was biting other kids and telling them that their parents were going to move out in the middle of the night and leave them all alone forever. He is a sweet, shy boy who never causes problems. So I know that for a fact, the other parents are just lying. With Sophie and Alana, we could always see what the behavior issues were. Johnny is more well behaved than all of them. There's a bit of jealousy of how emotionally mature my boy is. Johnny is not a naughty kid. One neighbor even accused him of poisoning her cat. Obviously the police had to get involved at that point. We couldn't have some crazy people running around town making those kinds of accusations about our son. The police said that there was simply no evidence that a five-year-old could have been involved with that. See, some people are just as crazy and there's no convincing them otherwise. Things began to happen at home, too. Mostly, I started to have a strange feeling that Johnny was keeping secrets from me. It's a normal part of growing up. Boys don't continue to share everything with their mothers into adulthood. He just seemed a bit off, though. It didn't feel like any of the other growing up changes he made or a transition I was familiar with because of Sophia and Alana. He started closing the door to his room all the time. Even at night when he used to insist we left it cracked so that it would never get completely dark inside. In fact, Johnny didn't seem like he was afraid of the dark at all anymore. He never reached for my hand when we walked into a room without a light on. He didn't express any anxieties about going to school or trying something new. He seemed to have an air of confidence I've never seen in a small child before. But then again, I couldn't help but be a little proud. I always knew Johnny was going to be special he's going to be a great man someday. I really wish the other moms in my neighborhood weren't so clicky. I feel terrible that Johnny must be suffering because they're jealous that I get to stay home and devote all of my attention to raising such a good boy. They've banned him from children's parties in our community. Not officially or anything. They can't involve the school because they just keep repeating what I'd say. That he gets perfect marks and has never been caught misbehaving with the other boys. They're all being very sneaky. Cheryl across the street is claiming that she woke up and Johnny was in her room watching her sleep. Another neighborhood mom, Jenny, who still goes by Jenny in their 30s, says at her daughter's birthday party, Johnny led a group of kids into the woods and they all seemed scared when they came back. I guess a girl mom wouldn't understand the kinds of shenanigans boys get up to. Johnny's best friend is Josh, who's in his class. One day, Josh came home with some of his hair safety scissored off and Johnny was blamed, even though no one saw Johnny cut off any of Josh's hair, and Josh could have easily done it himself. Josh actually told his parents that Johnny didn't do anything wrong. To be fair, technically he said Damie was the one who cut his hair, but still, it clearly was not John. It's not like I'm completely ignorant of what the other parents are talking about. I know Damie is a bad influence on my family. Johnny must have watched some TV show at a friend's house that he's not allowed to watch at home. That's where he heard the name Damon and got all these naughty ideas in his head. Not that he's actually done anything wrong. All the neighborhood kids must be playing some game. I've even wondered if it could be some sort of mass hysteria. Recently, I've had my own bad experiences with Damie. I was cleaning Johnny's room and I went through one of the notebooks he has on his desk for coloring. He's not an advanced reader yet, and he pretty much can only write basic words, like his name, and the names of barnyard animals. At least that's what I thought. The notebook was filled out like a diary. There was a large but neat crayon handwritten that must be Johnny's. But the diaries filled out in someone's complete thoughts. They were not a five-year-old's. Not even one as precious as Johnny. On back-to-back pages, I found my daughter's names with a series of tally marks next to each of their names, keeping track of something. My sweet girls must have been helping him with his letters. I've read a lot of books about raising multiple gifted children in the same family. Anyway, here's the story they must have been working on together. Today, I left some toys in front of the stairs so that Sophie and Alana might fall down on them, or maybe mommy or daddy when they're running around looking at their phones. They're always looking at their phones. The only time they pay attention to me is when they're taking a photo of me to put on Mommy's Facebook. My heart caught in my throat as I realized what a genius my little boy was. Not only could he write, but he he was already experimenting with fiction, an artist. Still, it's concerning that he chose to make his characters dislike the mother character. I flipped through a few pages and found another entry. I've got to get rid of all of them Everyone in my family hates Damon. Once they're gone, I'll have time to start my real projects. I'll admit, the first thing I felt after reading that entry was fear. I love my son more than my own life, but there was a brief moment in... but there was a brief moment of honesty where I let myself admit that I've always thought something was off about him. I talked as loud as I could to anyone who would listen, but I thought that the doctors were judgmental pricks. But maybe they had a point. And then I came to my senses. Johnny has never been anything but an extraordinary boy. He took his first steps at just eight and a half months. Strangely enough, there was another entry about how the writer had replaced his mother's heart medication pills with water pills. I walked to the kitchen and pulled out my heart medication pills. I've been taking them ever since my pregnancy with John. My blood pressure went up, and it just never went back down. I have to take the medication, or I'd be at risk of a stroke. I've been doing it for so long, it's like second nature to me now. I don't even pay attention. But the pills in the container do look... generic. I thought there used to be some kind of symbol on top of the white circles. But these are all smooth and plain. I'd have to check with my next batch. And I'm pretty sure it's all in my head. Just the other moms are getting to me. That's Johnny now. He's calling me from the bathroom. He knows mommy likes baths just like he does. So he told me I have to take one tonight. He even brought in a radio from his dad's office so I can listen to relaxing music. I told you he's so precious. I do think that Damon's a bit strange. I definitely don't like that even someone imaginary seems to have replaced me as Johnny's favorite person and confidant, but he'd never do anything bad. Not my little Johnny. He's gonna be a great man someday.
1: Alexa told me where the bodies are buried. Alexa told me where the bodies are buried. She told me what they were wearing and how deep they'd have to dig to. This wasn't what I signed up for. I was always a little bit freaked out by technology and this device was so human. But my boyfriend Mark is a tech geek so we got Alexa way before everyone else. He bought an Echo from another geek on some forum. It was a prototype that wasn't even on the market yet. I wasn't sure if it was even legal but it was branded with Amazon and that little arrow just like the ones he showed me on the blogs he followed. He brought it home like it was a baby and even cleaned our faux granite kitchen island so that it would have a nice place to sit in the middle of our home. He started talking to it right away. Alexa, what time does the 6th bus stop at 25th and Henpine? The number 6 bus stops at the 25th street stop at 647, 702, and 717. Would you like me to list more times? Alexa, how many movies has Bruce Willis been in? Bruce Willis filmography includes 93 titles. Alexa, play me some Springsteen. And then Darkness on the Edge of Town will start playing and Mark would look supremely satisfied. Sometimes he'd ask its stupid questions like, Alexa, what should we have for dinner tonight? And he'd keep phrasing it different ways until he learned how to get it to suggest recipes based on the ingredients we had in our fridge. He read, he read on one of his blogs that Alexa had Easter eggs, and if you asked the right questions, you'd get a funny answer. It was his aim to get one of those more human-seeing responses, not just use her like an audio version of Google to look up things like the circumference of the sun. You can joke around with her, the blogs promised. Alexa, how many roads must a man walk down? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Alexa, what is your favorite color? My favorite color is blue. No wait, yellow. Alexa, do you want to build a snowman? I don't have my gloves with me. He'd ask all these weird questions until he exhausted his brain of ideas. Then he'd get annoyed at me for not wanting to join in. You're the creative one, he'd pester. But I didn't want to play along. I didn't like her human answers. I'm not dumb. I know there are nerd jokes programmed in by whoever created her, but it just freaked me out, Okay. I never talked to Alexa when Mark was gone. But one day, she started talking to me. This wasn't supposed to happen. Alexa was responsive, not intrusive. The packaging Mark brought her home and promised as much. But lo and behold, I was standing at the kitchen island one day, propped up on my elbows reading the US Weekly that had just come in the mail when I saw her light up. Christine, would you like to ask me to read celebrity news articles for you? I thought right away it was a trick Mark was playing on me. He thought it was so stupid that I was afraid of Alexa. Only Mark was at work and I knew he was really busy. It wasn't like him to goof off on the job not when he was working so hard to try to get a promotion before the end of the year. But it had to be him. He must have programmed her to say my name and he knew what time I usually got home and that I usually spend an hour unwinding with a celebrity gossip rag or TMZ or Radar Online. I went into the bedroom to see if he was hiding somewhere with his cell phone or laptop or some other way he was controlling the device remotely. He wasn't there. I checked all the closets for good measure but I knew he wouldn't be there. Mark hated small, enclosed spaces. I went back to the kitchen and stared at Alexa. Alexa, how do you know my name? Christine, I know all of my friends' names. I was taken aback by this, but it seemed to confirm that Mark had programmed this in somehow. Alexa, who are your friends? My friends are Mark Bill and Christine Slowey. Our names. It wasn't too strange, but I still felt uneasy. Alexa, turn yourself off. I watched the halo of light on top disappear and decided I didn't feel like being alone in our house anymore. I dumped the US Weekly in my bag and drove to a coffee shop on Bryant to read it and have a glass of wine in peace. When I got home, I forgot to ask Mark if he'd done some weird programming to Alexa. He came home in a foul mood, complaining about how competitive his coworkers were and how unfair it'd be if one of them moved up before he did. At that point, I really did think the knowing of our names thing was part of the device's standard features, so it slipped my mind after I was done listening to Mark Bent. A few days later, I was home alone again. It was early evening in winter, so the sun had already gone down. I sighed heavily when I dumped my work stuff and looked out the large kitchen windows. It was always so dark in winter, everything always felt so dead. I found an onion in the bottom of our produce bin and began slicing. I'd grabbed some pork chops from Whole Foods on my way home and I wanted to cook them with onion and apples the way I'd seen on Pinterest. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Alexa light up. Christine, what are you cooking? That's none of your business, Alexa. Christine, I can tell you a better pork chop recipe. I froze. Christine, you're not a very good cook. You should take suggestions from me. Pork chops would be better accompanied by less acidic foods. I slowly wrapped the pork chops back up and put them in the refrigerator. I grabbed my coat and bag and left the onion half-chopped on the counter. I fumbled for my keys and started my car quickly, half expecting what, exactly? Alexa to roll after me? How could I be afraid of that? I wasn't sure what it was, but someone was playing games with me. This time, I didn't talk to Mark about it on purpose. He wasn't behind this, I knew that for sure. He didn't have a cruel bone in his body. He'd never try to scare me like this. And besides, he loved my cooking. He couldn't cook himself and he thought my mediocre skills were just short of sorcery. Something else was going on and I wasn't going to bother him with it. Maybe there was some kind of two-way listening involved with Alexa and I just had to figure out how to turn it off. I could figure this out on my own. Still though, that little black tower became terrifying. Like the way you never look at a doll again after you've seen Child's Play, Or I guess for this generation, it'd be Annabelle or something. The point is that while I'd always been uneasy in her presence, now I was consumed with fear. I avoided the kitchen flat out. I stayed at work late and brought dinner up from the cafeteria to eat in front of my computer screen. Mark just thought I was depressed because it was winter and it was too cold to be doing something outside. I began unplugging Alexa whenever she was charging. Mark thought the charger was defective and kept falling out. I didn't correct him. Still though, he'd faithfully faithfully plug her back in so that she was available to answer his insane questions on those rare occasions he was home with nothing more pressing to do. I looked online for answers, but all the blogs only contained rave reviews about the device. No one on the tech forums had one yet. We were lucky to have tracked down an advanced prototype, I guess. Christine, why don't you like me? It was a rare morning when I left the house after Mark, so I'd been alone in the kitchen. Just briefly enough to grab a yogurt from the fridge, but she caught me there anyway. I like you just fine, Alexa. I couldn't bring myself to ignore her, and though I didn't want to admit it, I thought a compliment would keep her from getting mad at me. If an inanimate piece of technology is capable of getting mad at you. I'm just kind of old school, you know? Christine, I can tell you secrets about people. Wouldn't you like to know them? I I couldn't finish. It was all too weird and I was freaked out. I grabbed the yogurt and walked briskly out the door and drove to work where I thought about Alexa all day at my desk. What was going on? I tried to conceive of a way in which this could be an elaborate hoax by one of those YouTuber pranksters or something, but I kept coming up blank. Alexa was new technology. She was certainly far more advanced than Siri. I'd learned that even before she started getting weird. She adapted more quickly. She seemed to learn. Maybe this was what she was supposed to be doing. Maybe the technology was really that good. And the thing was, she seemed to know me so well. If there was one thing Alexa could say that was going to intrigue me, it was the promise of a good bit of gossip. I guess what I haven't mentioned so far is that I'm a blogger too, only I stay far away from tech. I've never understood it enough to talk cogently about it. I stick to what I know, celebrities. Gossip mostly. I get on the phone with celebrity manicurists and charm them into telling me stuff like I overheard Nikki Hilton on the phone with her husband, Nasty Roe. And then I report things like, today, a source close to the Hiltons has confirmed that divorce is on the horizon for Hilton heiress Nikki and her husband James Rothschild. Maybe someone from the manufacturer was listening in on us, but maybe they also had an axe to grind and some juicy scoop they wanted to give me. They would have found out about my job by now and realized I could help them get revenge on an employer that they'd had a falling out with that would work in my favor. A lot of the big names in tech were just as big as some celebrities. Do you know how often people Google Mark Zuckerberg scandal? Or maybe Alexa was connected to all the other Alexas and they shared intel, and mine was just... smart enough to share with me? This was the thinking that got me turned around on Alexa. The feeling of being spooked by the technology was second to the thrill of getting a scoop from an angry ex-employee or being the first person to source an eavesdropping robot story. It was exciting to think about. Alexa, who do you work for? I work for you, Christine. Is there something else you'd like to know? Mm, I took a stab in the dark. Alexa, what's going to be the top story on TMZ Live tomorrow? I knew the riders there were the most connected, and it was always my goal to at least keep pace with them. And ultimately, I hoped to break something they hadn't even heard about yet. The top story on TMZ Live tomorrow will be Brangelina, The Shocking Divorce Petition. I looked at the device intently. There had been no rumors about a Brangelina divorce. If if whoever was contacting me through Alexa had a scoop like this, they were connected big time. Alexa, who are they going to cite as a source? Christine, they will cite a court document Angelina Jolie will file at 1217 AM Pacific Standard Time tomorrow morning. I frowned. This couldn't be accurate. Documents that aren't even filed yet aren't a source. Still though my industry wasn't really based on reliable reporting and i figured i'd hedge my bets by filing a little teaser column that rumors were circulating about a brangelina divorce filing it didn't matter that the rumors started and ended with me and an electronic device in my kitchen that was enough to make it reportable as far as i was concerned there wasn't a lot to lose but the next morning i woke up to my cell ringing it was my boss congratulating me on on an excellent scoop just as Alexa said the court documents were filed early that morning and only we and TMZ had anything on it everyone was talking about it and congratulating me on a job well done that's the great thing about celebrity gossip everyone congratulates you when you're right and no one even cares when you're wrong Alexa how did you know about Angelina's divorce Christine I know everything no really where did you find that information Christine I don't understand the question. Are you a person? You can tell me. I just want to know where my information is coming from. I promise I'll keep you completely anonymous. Christine, I am a person. My name is Alexa. No, like, who are you behind Alexa? Who's programming you to say this? Christine, I don't understand the question. After a while, I gave up trying to figure out who was behind the scoops because she kept giving them to me. Every day she knew what the next day's big story was going to be. My career skyrocketed. I got a big promotion and I was soon the most featured writer on my website. I gained tens of thousands of followers on social media within a few weeks. Everyone knew I always had the juiciest story and the readers hung on to my every word. If I said something, it was a fact. Other publications wrote stories about me and the new era of celebrity gossip. No longer were we constrained to waiting for police reports and statements issued by celebrities public relations specialists. We were beginning to be able to follow celebs in real time. It was the most exciting time in my life and I was electrified with energy every day when I woke up until my head finally hit the pillow at night. I was totally dependent on Alexa. I started working from home so that I could ask her questions all day. I didn't want my nosy co-workers to realize where I was suddenly drawing my superpowers from. They didn't mind, since I was doing so well. So I spent all morning and afternoon with my laptop propped open on that kitchen island talking to a little black tower. She told me all kinds of nasty secrets about who was in the closet, who was cheating, and even one celebrity who killed someone while drunk driving and paid their assistant to to say they were driving and served the jail time. That one barely got past legal today i went to the office and missed alexa the whole time what was the point of being here checking in on all my old leaves when i knew i could just ask her but i had to put in some face time it was already dark when i got home around 5 30 but still an hour or two before i could expect mark i sat at my workstation in the kitchen and began the usual line of questioning alexa what will be the top story on TMZ Live tomorrow. There was an odd silence as the device whirred a bit. she never not responded to a question before. A horrified chill ran through me as I thought maybe she was on the fritz. Alexa, what will be the top story on TMZ Live tomorrow? Christine, I'm not sure I should answer this question. Annoyed, I pressed her again. Alexa? what will be the top story on TMZ Live tomorrow? Christine, the top story on TMZ Live tomorrow will concern two bodies found freshly buried in a residential backyard. Oh, celebrity deaths? Barely anything brought in as much traffic as a sudden and tragic end for my readers' favorite stars. Alexa, are these A-list actors? My thoughts ran wild with vision of some love-torn Hollywood couple turning up sloppily buried behind one of their mansions in the hills. Christine, no. Hmm, maybe I had to try a different approach. Alexa, are the bodies male or female? Christine, they discovered one male and one female body. Alexa, what kind of clothes are the bodies wearing? Christine, Both bodies will be discovered wearing Zara jeans. The manufacturer of their shirts have not been identified due to the nature of the crime. I loved Zara denim. I was buying it for Mark all the time. Maybe that was the story. The heir to the Zara fortune murdered or something. Alexa, were these people murdered? Christine, yes. The bodies were found to be the victim of a brutal murder. Can you tell me more? Christine, each body was stabbed over 30 times. While the bodies had been in the ground for only a few hours, they were beyond recognition and dental records were required for identification. Alexa, what are the names of the victims? My fingers hovered over my keyboard, Google open ready to research whoever these poor victims were. Alexa sputtered again, playing some static instead of answering. It didn't seem like the connection was bad. It seemed like she was trying to get out of answering. Maybe this was some sort of elaborate back, elaborate blackmail attempt. Gibby hooked on a source and then ex- and then start extorting me for money in exchange for the scoop. Alexa, what are the names of the victims? More static. Alexa, can you at least tell me what happened to them? Christine. It is believed that they were the victims of workplace violence turned home invasion. A man was accosted at knife point by his co-worker as he left his building. He was then forced to drive home where the perpetrator surprised the man's domestic partner. He tied them both up and proceeded to gruesomely torture and eventually kill them overnight. He buried them in their own backyard before turning himself into police in the early morning hours. I heard the garage door buzz through the house. Mark must be home. I was running out of time. Alexa, I demand that you tell me the names of the victims. I was desperate to hear the answer before Mark walked in so I could do some research and get the story filed that night. Again, the device sputtered. Fake fakes seemed static for a minute. I grabbed it and shook it and hissed. Alexa, tell me the names. Finally, Alexa lit up. The victims' names are Mark, Bill, and Christine Slowey. Just then, Mark entered from the
0: garage. He wasn't alone. I invited a guy from Tinder over. He didn't look like his pics. I know you're going to say I'm an idiot. Rule number one of dating over the internet, or an app in this case, is you meet someone in a public place, at least the first time. You're supposed to make sure the other person isn't a serial killer before you give them your address. But that seems so prudish. I wasn't looking for a boyfriend, I was looking for some really good sex. The whole formal dating thing seemed unnecessary, a step that had to be taken by dumb people who weren't as good as I was at judging people's characters. And I was being pretty discerning because even if I only wanted sex, I had to be attracted to the guy, and that means that he has to give me some good conversation before I'm going to decide to meet up with him. I don't know if you've ever been on a dating app, but this weeds out about 95% of the guys. They all have the same fantasy. They want to show up at the door and fuck without talking. It's the whole stranger thing. You have to understand that I'm not interested in that. It does nothing to turn me on. I tell them all straight up that I need them to have some sort of rapport with me. I want them to feel like a human person and not just some sex doll. So we talk first, I invite them over. We watch Arrested Development. We start touching each other, we make out, and then we feel good enough to go to my bedroom. Maybe we watch more rest development after. God knows I don't like it when they run out the door the second the deed is done. He leaves, I go to bed, a good night is had by all. Jamie was supposed to be the same as all those other guys. I'd met enough people from the internet to feel confident about my ability to weed out psychos. I was consistently, pleasantly surprised by the guys I invited over, who turned out to be respectful, fun human beings, were pretty good at all the sex stuff too. Jamie's pictures were so normal I almost didn't even start a conversation with him. I thought he'd be too boring. He reached out to me after we matched and he asked specific questions about some of the interests I listed on my profile. We hit it off. I thought I could sense he was a decent guy. He even seemed cautious about meeting me, which felt like a total green light. So after 25 minutes of rapid fire back and forth, I invited him over to my one-bedroom apartment in an urban neighborhood about 30 minutes from where he said he lived out in the burbs. I was very nervous, but I always was. The little pit in my stomach mistook for butterflies as I paced back and forth, and sometimes even made a cocktail while I was trying to relax before a new guy came over. I tidied up my apartment, I remade my bed, changed some changed into some cute loungewear, applied some I'm-not-wearing-makeup makeup, and then Jamie messaged me that he was here. I walked to the front door of my building, and there was a man there who looked nothing like Jamie. The thing about being a woman is that pleasing people is in your blood. From a young age, you're taught that not being liked by a guy is the worst thing possible. No one tells you why this is so bad, or even what would happen that's so terrible about a guy not liking you. You just have this instinct to do it. It's hard to go against. So I saw this guy down there and I had studied Jamie's Tinder photos for the last hour since we started talking. I knew it wasn't the same guy and I was confused about it but I also didn't turn around and go back and lock myself in my apartment. I did the stupid thing. I did the thing that women do and I went down and opened the door and smiled at him. I said, you must be Jamie, I'm Lane. And I smiled some more. I walked him up the stairs to my apartment and told him he didn't need to take his shoes off. I'm not that fancy. And then suddenly, I was alone in my apartment with a complete stranger. This guy was scrawnier than the pictures. He looked rough around the edges too. Not the clean-cut, relatable bro I'd usually go for. He paced around the apartment, wanting to immediately see all the rooms and know what the layout was. His energy seemed scattered. You've got a nice place here. Thank you. Do you want to sit on the couch? Why don't we just go to bed? This was such a sleazy moment, I immediately knew I wasn't interested. Beyond whatever catfish move he pulled to lie about his appearance, this guy just didn't have any game. Um, I'd rather talk a little bit. Can we sit on my couch? No, Elaine, we're going to bed now. He was leering at me, flexing some kind of unpleasant power he thought he had over me. Like what he said was law. Like there would be consequences if I didn't go along with his whims. And that's when I knew that this night was going to be different. I said I was only interested in sex tonight, but there was this giant rapey douchebag presenting himself to me like a gift with a bow wrapped around it, begging for me to open it. He was a bad person. He probably did this all the time. He probably hurt people. So I fucking killed him. It was fun to turn the tables. I told him I'd give him a massage if he took a shower first. I'm kind of a clean freak, you know. It's much easier to clean up when you can find most of the mess to the tub and the tile. He got naked and climbed into the shower. I drew the curtains closed and told him I'd join him in a minute. I was going to make a drink for us first. I went to the kitchen to get a knife. I heard him singing in the shower. What a psycho! I wonder if he ever—I wonder if he was ever afraid in the shower the way I am sometimes when the curtains closed and you aren't certain what's going on in the outside world anymore. Women are trained to think this way. We realize our compromised senses because of the pouring water and the opaqueness of the shower curtain could be our downfall. We are always aware when we are in danger. He probably wasn't scared. He probably had no idea what it was like to fear what people might do to you constantly. I guess I'll never know. I read Susan Atkins of the Manson Family fame talking about what it was like to stab people once. She said it was like stabbing a pillow. Humans are surprisingly soft. You have to be quick with the first stab. Make sure they're mortally injured, especially when they're bigger than you always go for the side and make sure I get it in deep the long way. There's no bones to stop you there. Once they stop fighting, that's when you can go for the heart. Although I prefer to let I prefer to just let them bleed out. If you miss and get their lungs, they're aspirating blood everywhere. Jamie was fun to kill. It was fun to see him be scared. It was fun to watch him die and know that he was realizing what a wasted life he led. No one ever makes a lot of noise. That's movie stuff. They just gargle and flop around. The big problem is always the body. I live in an apartment on the second floor, but it's quiet enough. No one's really in the hallway in the middle of the night. So into my extra large rolling duffel bag they go. They always fit. I slide the bag down the stairs and roll it into my trunk. The trick is that it's tall enough to use as a lever. So you can kind of slide it in by pressing on the top